please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. Before we pray, I want to share with you some things about this passage, actually this verse, that you need to be aware of. Some of you have been in church a long time. Okay, uh, attending a church for a long time. And some of you have been taught a number of things about the end times, the tribulation, the abomination, uh, and all the rest of it. I know I have. Uh, many of us who sat under Al's teaching, we went through the book of Revelation. Okay? But when it really comes down to it, have you studied it? I mean, have you taken it apart have you looked at Zechariah? Have you looked at Daniel? Have you looked at Ezekiel? Have you looked at Thessalonians? Have you looked at what Paul teaches in the Corinthians? Have you looked at what Jesus teaches? Okay. If you have a preconceived notion because the footnotes in your Bible say so, and that's what you're basing your eschatology on, that's your end time stuff there. Okay. Do you really believe that your footnotes are divinely inspired? They're not. And you can take, whether it's Schofield, Ryrie, uh, whoever, uh, Sproul, uh, MacArthur's coming out with a study Bible in the fall. But when it all comes down to it, what did you do to form your end time foundation? Okay? Uh, as I have, and I shared with my Sunday school class, this passage I have been studying for months. Okay, because I've got to be honest with you, I have set and I have my eschatology is all confirmed. Okay, I knew what I believed. Okay, what I found is a lot of it changed as I studied this. Now, not dramatic changes, please understand that. It's not that I went from uh, earth will be heaven and all the rest of it. I mean, my study changed because the timetable changed. Okay, basically. And I believe that if you are let the Holy Spirit teach you and you stay with me as we go through these verses, then maybe some of yours have changed or some of yours may be validated. Okay, but I share that with you now because I watch people who will fight tooth and nail on eschatology. And if you ask him, have you studied it? And they'll say, but this person taught it and this person taught it and this person taught it. Okay, well, that's fine. Man is not infallible. God's word is infallible. And I'm not claiming to be infallible. But I also, you, you who've known me, understand that I do not take the teaching of God's word lightly. Okay? I know, and I've read the passage that said, a teacher shall be judged harsher. I've read the passage where Paul told the Ephesian elders that the blood of innocent man shall not be on my hands, for I have not forsaken the full counsel of God. So I don't walk into these things saying, well, what does Ryrie say? Okay, I walk into these things saying, God, you really got to help me. And God, show me from your word. And I, I, I preface this because um, too many of us have a preconceived, I believe this because I remember somebody saying it. Okay, um, Do you believe the church will be raptured before the tribulation? And... Some will say yes, some will say no, some will say halfway, some will say the church will go through it. 
But then you ask them, can you give me a biblical precedence for what you believe? Well, I remember, no, that's not what I asked you. Okay, so I hope today that you are open. Let us follow the text. Let us look at what the word has to say and let the Holy Spirit teach you this day. Okay. So I'm not here. Let's not divide over eschatology. I know that the book of Revelations is the easiest book in the Bible. We win. Okay. So let us look at this and let God teach you. Don't say, well, I don't like you anyway, so I ain't going to believe what you say. All right, let God teach you. Okay, let's pray. Merciful Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Father, uh, what a blessing this study has been for me. And Father, I pray that you will open the people's eyes this day so that they may see and they may rejoice in what is being said. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. Father, I just praise you that the whole system is coming to your glory. The whole system will give you honor. The whole system, everything before us, will glorify our King, our Lord, our Savior. Father, teach us this day. Teach me this day. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand. A real simple text, actually, and if you look at it in the Greek, it is very simple. I'm going to give you four passages, and you can look at them later. I'm not going to be able to develop this thing the way that I've had to develop it, but I'm going to give you all the texts that I've looked at in context. Okay? Isaiah chapter 10, verses 20 through 22, Jeremiah 30 verses 5 through 9. Golly. Okay, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20 through 22. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 5 through 9. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Jacob's trouble is in that passage. Zechariah 13, verses 8 through 9. All of these texts speak of a tremendous time of suffering in the nation of Israel. And it's, the suffering in the nation of Israel is so great that it would be global. Okay? But the focus and the, the point of the suffering is Israel. Okay? And I mean Israel not in the nation of Israel, but the lands of Palestine. Okay, what you would see as Israel today. It's great trouble, and yet our Lord is confirming it here in the 24th chapter of Matthew. We are in the Passion Week. Okay, we are in the last week of Jesus' teaching. Okay, he has brought condemnation upon Israel. It's done. Judgment of Israel has been sealed. God has said it. He says it there. Verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he leaves the temple. This is Wednesday. Okay. This is Wednesday of the week. He will be crucified in two days. 
All right, two days. This whole Wednesday has been a dialogue that started when the, the religious leaders came up to him and said, by what authority do you teach? And then they kind of kept throwing barbs at him, trying to get him to stumble on his words or try to, you know, uh, get him to prove what uh, teacher he was under or, or what his principles of the Mosaic law was or if he could say something about uh, Rome or something like that that they could trap him in. And basically the dialogue concluded, they said there, um, when he asked them, uh, whose son is he? They all kind of got confused. And it says from that time on, nobody wanted to ask him any questions. So he leaves the temple there at the beginning of chapter 24. He leaves the temple. As he's walking away, his disciples look, and they're looking at this building, the temple area. And it's actually a number of buildings. And this thing's huge, people. I, I can't even describe it to you. Some of these blocks are four foot by eight foot by eight foot. And some of them are even longer than that. Some of them are in excess of 100 ton stones. All right, now you've got to understand something. And each stone, when it was stacked up, was wrapped in gold. Did you know that? It's white limestone, and then they wrapped this thing in a gold layer. They'd take, like, aluminum foil, and they'd bang gold until it got that thin, and then they wrapped this thing. The disciples are leaving. And when they leave, they look back, and you, who are these guys? It's disciples. Where did they come from? They're fishermen. You know, they just hung out. All these guys come from where? Galilee, in that Galilean area. This was like going into the city. I have a very dear friend of mine who uh, was raised in Iowa. And the big city where he grew up was, was to go to Cheyenne. Okay? Have you ever been to Cheyenne? Big town. Then he came down and he worked in Denver. Then the idiot moved to L.A. Okay? Now he's back because L.A. just, he could not, nope, can't do that. You can't have that many people going at that speed all headed in the same direction on curvy roads. Okay, and he says it's just not happening. So he's, he's back. But that's what we have to perceive. We look at some massive structures today. And you've got these guys, and they look at this and they say, see this thing? Now understand, what temple is this? Herod's. Herod built it. Okay, and Herod is a Edomite. Okay, if you look at Ezekiel 37 and 38, you'll find out that there is a temple coming that will not be built by an Edomite. It will be built by a Jew or by the Jews. So there's a temple out there that has to come yet. Right, and I want you to understand these things. So there's this temple coming, and Jesus says, as they're walking away, they call his attention, his disciples, the twelve, call his attention, and they said, you see, uh, look at this building. Look at, I mean, this is like a, a big structure. And Jesus says, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And we studied this over the last three or four weeks, that their eschatology, the Jews believe in the end times, just follow along with them. They need to have this new temple, this new temple built by Jews. No problem. Okay? So then we move into another statement. Verse 3, they ask him a question. He leaves the temple area, he goes across the Kidron Valley, he goes up on the Mount of Olives. Okay? And if you know the geography of the area, you'll notice that there's a, the Kidron River runs through and there's a hill that overlooks Jerusalem. And that's called the Mount of Olives. And it actually is a little bit higher than Jerusalem proper. Jerusalem proper is about the, the elevation of, of uh, Denver, about 5,200 feet. All right, so this Mount of Olives, is, it's, it's high. You've you got to walk down in the valley, you've got to walk up, so they're kind of tired. And, and Mark, the parallel passage is, says it's the key group comes and asks him a question. Okay, and they ask him a question. It says, tell us, 
When will this happen? Okay. Now he's looking at all of it. They're looking at their whole eschatology, people. You've got to understand this. They're looking at when will Messiah set up his eternal kingdom? That's what they want to know. That's, that's the question. When will, and how will I know? And they say, ask me a question. When will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming? Jesus responds to the twelve, or the, the group that is there. Watch for these that no one deceives you. And he listed out six things. Verse 8 calls them the birth pains. Okay? Now listen. Jesus uses terminology and phraseology that we can understand. What are birth pains? I've never experienced one. Okay? Praise God. All right? Never experienced one. When do birth pains happen? At conception? No. They happen just before what? Birth. Right? And then you have one, and I, I've seen it. I've been witness to this. I've seen how it affects. And you have the one, and it's like, boom. And it all goes away, and everything's cool. But your wife gets that funny look on her face that says, you're about to get in trouble. <laughs> okay? Meaning the husband. Uh, and then... What happens is, is that you can time the intensity and the, uh, how quick the birth pains come, and you can tell when the baby's coming. Okay? That's what Jesus tells us in verse 8. You can watch this one pain, and then it grows, and then it grows. And you know what? These six pains coincide exactly with the opening of the seven seals, coincide exactly with the seven trumpets and the seven bowls in Revelations. Okay, now we've gone through all of this and I'm wanting to lay it back out so you don't, so you all keep it up. Okay, see I got to study this over and over and over and over day in and day out. And you guys got to go to work. So, uh, so Jesus is saying there's coming a time that the temple is going to be absolutely destroyed. God's glory is going to move from Israel. Paul tells us in Romans 11 that Israel will be set aside. Okay, they're, they're going to be set aside. All right? Jesus tells us they're going to be set aside, and there's going to be this mystery thing that's going to happen. Okay, this mystery. All right? But now I want you to look at the key event. Okay? What will those six things, the deception that grows, uh, the things that wars and rumors of wars, the famines, the pestilence are beginning, uh, being handed over and persecuted. Uh, many will turn from the faith. Others will betray those of the faith. There will be false prophets will appear and the love of wickedness will grow and the love will grow cold. Okay, all of those things are really general. And if you look at it, that's pretty much right now, right? But there's a trigger. Okay? When you pull the trigger on a gun, then you have all kinds of wild things happen up in the chamber, right? But you got to pull the trigger. And here is the trigger in verse 15. When you see this, he says, now take that, take the middle of it out and say, when you see this, let the reader understand. Very simple. When I see what? Let the reader understand. There is an event that will signal without a doubt that you're in it. And this trigger has not been pulled. Okay, now, I, I want to give you something else. What we call the rapture in a noun form is not a noun. Okay? Uh, we just call it that. All right? It, the catching up of the church is not discussed in 24 or 25. Why not? Church has not been born. Church is not born until Pentecost. Okay, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. Okay, so understand that. So Jesus is not speaking of the church. So 
the church is given to us, what happens to the church is given to us through the epistles, the writings of the apostles. Okay, so what Jesus is talking about, this will be the signs of the end times. Okay, what will be the sign? He says, when you see, let the reader understand, what we have is the burst pains, and then we will have a trigger. Now, you have to understand this because there's a transition between verses 4 through 14 and 15 through 31. Okay, and the transition comes in verse 15 because he says, this is the sign that it's happening. Okay, whereas all the rest of them are just very general. He says, you who are alive in that day, okay, when you who are alive, when you see this thing happen, you're going to know you're halfway to the tribulation. Okay, halfway to the tribulation. Understand that. When you see this thing that the prophet Daniel spoke about, when you see an abomination, some of yours will say, of desolation, that's not a good translation. It should be an abomination causing desolation. It is the better translation. And I'll show you this because Daniel speaks of it three times in his book. Two of them are different than the third. Okay, now, and, and I'll show you how it all comes out. And, and I can't get it, I can't go into the detail of it that I had to go through. Uh, I'll give you the text. You go look them up and, and you, you come up with whatever conclusion you want to. But this is how it's been shown to me. Okay? When I see this abomination that causes desolation, this is a sign. This is the Antichrist, we call him, the beast, the son of perdition. Daniel calls him the willful king. Okay? Uh, with that in mind, turn with me to the book of Daniel. Guys, help each other. Daniel chapter 11 is where I'm going to start. I'm going to be in Daniel probably the most of this thing. Daniel introduces us to this man. Now understand he's a man. Okay? He's not some appearing thing. He says he is a king, there, verse 36, who does as he wills. Okay? Um, he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will say unheard of things against the god of gods. Uh, and he will be successful until the time of wrath is complete. So he's not permanent. He's, he's got a time frame for it has been determined to take place. But he he kind of describes him. We can kind of get an idea how, what the guy's about. He, he will show no regards for gods of his father. He will show no uh, regards of, of any deity. Uh, he will exalt himself above all. He will honor the god of fortresses. You know what that is? Military man. Okay. He will honor the God who can create weapons, okay. which is, I will be focused on military capabilities. Okay. If you really chase this thing out, you'll find out this guy's got an arsenal, and he can speak softly, and everybody in the world knows he's got a huge stick. Okay. Because the first three and a half years, he's a negotiator, a diplomat. Okay. Why? Because i got all the bullets. You don't have none of the bullets. And if you don't listen to what I've got to say, it's a threat. All right? But then he goes on, he says, he honors the God, honors the God of fortresses. Um, says that uh, has no desire for women. Okay? Now, I've heard a lot of people 
say, well, he's homosexual. It's not what it says. Okay? If it were to say that, it would say he was homosexual. If it was to say that, it'd say he did not desire women, he doesn't desire men, or he desires men. But it doesn't say that. Don't read into the text. It says he has no desire for women. What does that mean? He's wrapped up in power. Look at me. I've got all the bullets. Okay, so, so keep that in mind. There's too many things we get subjugated. It's like, how many wise men were there? The Bible doesn't tell us. Okay, but everybody will go to, I'll fight you to the brim because there were three. I read it. It's in a song even. Okay, so, so understand. No, it doesn't say he was homosexual. It says he doesn't have a desire for women. But he says he loves to honor gold and silver, precious stone, and costly gifts. Okay, it says that when he uh, attacks mighty fortresses with the help of foreign God, he will be greatly honored. Okay, so he's a military man, and there does come a time... Uh, that he will fight. Daniel chapter 2, and I'm not going to go to it, but Daniel chapter 2 speaks of it that he has a coalition of ten toes. Okay? It's the Roman Empire. It's the Western Empire. It's a ten-nation coalition of Europe. Okay? It will be a, a copy of, of, of Rome during the time of Christ. Okay? What they were in control of, the Roman government was in control of. That is falling into place now. Okay, they've got 12 nations right now, but that's all right, because I know two will drop out or two will be absorbed. Okay, so he's gonna, he's gonna resurrect this Roman Empire, this Western Europe Commonwealth, and he's gonna be a leader, people. He's gonna be a leader, uh, I'm not gonna say Hitler, because he's gonna have more than Hitler ever dreamed of. Because people will want to follow him. And will desire to follow him. Yes, he will bring strength to bear and will intimidate people into his alliance. But the truth of the matter is, is that he's such a charismatic speaker, everybody wants to follow him. Okay? And he's, he's a military man. Okay? Um, Daniel says that uh, his empire will be smashed by a stone that is cut without hands. In, in Daniel chapter 2. All right, so he's got this ten-country alliance, uh, a European common market, and this guy's got a lot of power. Now, if you don't believe this isn't true, do you realize that there are more nuclear weapons in Europe right now than there is anywhere? Think about it now. Russia's got a bunch, right? U.S. got a bunch, right? You know who's got more? England and Europe has more. You know why? Because Russia put a bunch in Poland, <laughs> we put a bunch in Europe, and so when the guy can get a hold of this and get all of it, guess what? He's got more than anybody. So you've got to understand these things. He has power now. Whoever will come up out of that area and will have a, and be able to bring them all together has power. Okay? And he has the power of the fortress gods. I mean, you get, you're looking at cruise missiles, Titan missiles. You've got all that stuff that's going on there. He's got it. It's, the tools are already there and in place. You know why they're fighting in NATO right now, bringing in some of the Eastern Bloc countries into NATO? Russia's afraid of it. Why? Look at the power they've got. And you look, at the, look how many million Russians have been killed from armies coming out of the West throughout history. So I'm not going to go there either. Okay? There will come a battle. Ezekiel 38 tells us of this battle. The king of Rush will be involved in it, and the king of Persia will form an alliance. And it says there will be a king out of the south who will come against this ten-country coalition. 
Guess where they come to battle at? Palestine. Okay, that area. This leader of this ten European nation will be defeat both of these armies, or all three of these armies. You have a Russian. Okay, Rush is a Russian translation. You could take Russia. Okay, is the north. Persian. Uh, the Persian area that we would look at is Iran, Afghanistan. Okay, it's out of the south. Well, what Russian influences are out of the south? Egypt, Libya, and anything south. Okay, so you've got this coalition of these armies going to come against this guy. Guess where they meet? They meet in Israel. They have a major knockdown battle, and this leader wins. Okay, it is at that time when he wins this battle that the abomination, which causes desolation, takes place. Okay? Abomination. In the Greek, it's a word that looks like it needs a whole bunch of more vowels. I mean, it does, man. You look at that and think, oh boy, somebody really blew it when they spelled that. Uh, Bedelga is the word, is how they pronounce it, but I'm not even sure that's true because it doesn't look like it's got enough letters to even spell that. Okay, but everybody, hey, that's Bedelga, but it doesn't look like a Bedelga. And the root word of the word means a, to emit a, a foul odor. That's what the abomination means. It means to admit a, a foul, a stinks. There's a vernacular for you. If you look at secular Greek and you look at the Hebrew writings, you'll see that this word is always used of something that is detestable to God in an idolatrous way. Okay? In an idolatrous way. It goes completely against what God has, has said. It is used in Revelation chapter 17, verse 4 and 5, speaking of man's religion. The harlot is an abomination to God. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, in that final time when heaven, the true heaven, okay, not the millennial kingdom, when heaven is established, there shall be no abomination. Okay, there will be nothing detestable to God in heaven. It is used to describe the pagan gods that um, man tends to, to chase. So, this abomination that causes desolation is something that is a desecration, it ruins the things that God has done. Alright, so something is going to happen in Israel that is detestable to God, and it lays waste to the holy place. What is the holy place? Now, I've read a whole bunch of people try to tell me what it is. It's supposed to be Israel. Well, no, it's Jerusalem. Well, no, it's uh, the nation of Israel proper, all of the Jewish people. And that doesn't seem to play. I just went to Acts chapter 21. You don't have to turn there. Verse 28 says, Paul's come back into Jerusalem and he's preaching. A lot of the old Jews know Paul and they're mad at what he's saying. And they start shouting, men of Israel, help us. This man, speaking of Paul who teaches all these men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. Okay? That seems pretty much to describe it to me. The temple is the holy place. Okay? So that's, that's what he's speaking of. So something is going to happen in Israel that will defile the temple. Okay? Uh, are you guys all still in Daniel? This is good. Daniel chapter 11. Okay, Daniel chapter 11, half of it is historical and half of it is prophetic. 
Okay? Alright, so in, <coughs> in verse 31, it speaks of a man. It says, His army will rise up, desecrate the temple fortress, and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Now, everything I found and everything that I did my work on and I could find on this speaks of a man who has already been and died. He was uh, Syrian. His name was Antias Epiphanes. Okay? And what he did, he was a, a Syrian, and what he did under Greek, this is during the Greek rule, he went into Jerusalem and his focus was to destroy the Jewish religious system. It, didn't, it wasn't so much like, I want to kill the Jews. I don't want them worshiping their God. So he had in his mind that if I killed out all the Levites and all the tribe of Benjamin, killed every one of them, men, women, and children, so that thing couldn't go no more, the religion would die. Well, throughout history, men have tried that avenue, and it just doesn't work. We can make babies quicker than you can kill us all. So that thing just didn't work. So he decided they have their church, the temple, I'll go in there and I'll fix it so they can't. So you know what he did? He walks in. He's got a whole herd of pigs. Okay. Now, if you know anything about the Jews, they really don't like pork. Okay. And it's unclean. Okay. And it, it's borderline abomination. He goes in there. And you know what he does? Slaughters a herd of pigs on the altar. Okay? And he proceeds to take the pork out of the altar, the burnt offerings of the altar, and he stuffs it down the necks of the priest. Okay? Then he has his masons come in, and they build a statue of Zeus, and they put it in the Holy of Holies. Okay? You know what they call that? That's an abomination that causes desolation. Guess where the Jews worshipped? I can tell you where they didn't. They wouldn't go to the temple. Okay. Now, to find all that information, you've got to have a real love for history, which I do, and you'll find that in First and Second Maccabees, okay, which is a uh, more of a historical book than it is anything. Uh, this guy ruled from about 175 to about 165 BC. Uh, it's co comical because um, Antias Epiphanes, the Epiphanes means the great one. He was a real modest kind of guy, you know. I'm so humbled. I'm perfect. Uh, but that's that's the title he gave himself. And a lot of writers during the time call him Ancaius Epiphanes, which means maniac. Okay? I think both of them will work. Um, I doubt if they called him maniac to his face, because what I can find is he was uh, he was nuts. Okay? So he has this thing. He went in. It's already taken care of. What you have in verse 31 of chapter 11 of Daniel is a historical picture that our Lord grabs a hold of on the Mount of Olives to describe what's going to happen in the future. And he's showing it to the prophet Daniel. Okay? And the reason that, it got, that you could tell that's true is that when you see prophets prophesying end-time things, if I prophesy to you something that's going to happen before you all... Were you all dead when it happens? How are you going to know if I'm right? You ever see that? I know, that's a, that's a common sense thing. There's a lot of people out there prophesying things that will happen in the future because they're going to be dead. Right? If you look at scriptures, when a man is used to speak of something in the future, he will speak of something that will happen soon so he can validate through this man that he is in control of this man. That's what happened with Daniel.
Okay, and Daniel could understand it. The Jews understood it. They seen this. And again, like I said, he speaks of the abomination which causes desolation three times. One of them is a picture of the final two. Okay, and the final two is actually just the one. Now you should be completely confused by now. And this is cool. Means I'm right on schedule. One of the things I would bring you to to look at right there in verse 31, it says, <coughs> it abolishes the daily sacrifice. You know that the Jews sacrificed daily? It wasn't like on Yom Kippur and Passover. It was daily. If your wife had a baby, okay, she had to have a cleansing sacrifice. She had to go in and, and, and do that. If you had a brother, a co-worker that you worked with and you got mad at him and you punched him in the nose, you had to go in and atone for that and give him a, a dove or a pigeon or whatever. Well, every day there were sacrifices going on in the temple. And it says that when Caius Epiphanes did this, he abolished the daily sacrifice. So there was no more atoning for what you were doing wrong. Okay? Now then... This is a picture in 2nd century B.C. It was a preview of what it's going to be like. Now then, back over to chapter 9, verse 24. Okay? This is that wonderful passage that I see all kinds of people argue with and fight over and all the rest of it. <clears throat> verse 24 says there's going to be 77s are decreed to your people in your holy city to finish the transgressions. Do you understand what he's talking about? What happened is uh, they're in a Babylonian captivity and, and Daniel's been fasting and praying and, and, and confessing the sins of himself and the people of Israel when, wanting to know when God was going to allow them to come out of Babylonian captivity and go back and take uh, Israel. Okay? And God says, 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city to be finished, to finish the transgression. Do you know what the transgression was that sent them into Babylonian captivity? The main one, I mean, they, they had a lot of transgressions. They wouldn't celebrate the Jubilee. Okay, they wouldn't let the land rest. See, if you let the land rest a year, it gets its nutrients and all that other stuff, and you give your offering. But see, you couldn't make no money. And so the Jews wouldn't do this, and they ended up in Babylon. There was a lot of things they did, but they got in trouble. Okay, they, they weren't keeping the holidays that God said to keep. So he says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish this transgression and to put an end to the sin, to atone for wickedness and to bring an everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. There's a lot of stuff right there. I thought you guys said that there was just a problem because they weren't letting the land rest. Okay. Read on. Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree. Okay, 77s, 490. Okay, it's a heptos in the Greek, or in the Hebrew, I'm sorry. And it is 70 weeks of years. That's how that translation comes out. So what you're looking at is 490 years. Piece of cake. Then all I have to do is find from the issuing of the decree. What is the issuing of the decree? When Jerusalem could be rebuilt. Piece of cake. Found it. Artaxerxes. Okay, he issued that it would be put back about 440 B.C. So I got 440 B.C. Slap on 490 years. Got to figure it out. Well, we need to read on. God doesn't make it that easy. I mean, I, I was sharing with the elders. I said, you know, this is the only sermon I ever had to work with. I had to use a calculator to figure it out. 
okay, what I was going to preach on. And everybody says, what are you going to preach on? Uh, calendars. I'm not going to get into the Hebrew calendar. Understand that the Hebrew calendar is only 360 days. Okay, and don't, don't do all that stuff. Like I said, if you don't believe what I'm saying, you go study it. You take a month or two months like it took me. You come back and we'll discuss it because then you'll figure out what calendar was this and that and the other. All right, all I'm doing is trying to get through the abomination that causes desolation and who is it? All right. He says there, after it's been decreed, Jerusalem will, until Jerusalem anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. Whoever wrote this was not a math teacher. Okay. What that is, if you take seven and you take sixty-two, you come up with 69, right? So my calculator came up with, if yours didn't, yours wasn't divinely inspired. Mine was. Okay? So I got 69 weeks. But he said 70 weeks. Okay? That's where the little problem comes in. There's 69 weeks of years to the exact day of what? Christ entered Jerusalem. Did you know that? Exactly. The same day he walked in, fulfilled 69 weeks. When they, remember, we already looked at it. When he came in on the colt, the foal of a donkey, and you guys are trying to tell me that there's an accident to this? Daniel knew what was happening. Of course, Daniel, uh, when I see him, I'll say, Daniel, you know, the next time you get into math, stay with the prophecy stuff. The math stuff is really bad at. Okay, so we've got a gap between the 69th and the 70th year, right? Verse 26 shows us that. But watch what happens. <clears throat> after the 62 week, after the 62 Sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. Ooh. Who's the anointed one? It's Christ. He will cut off and have nothing. What happened? He rode in on Monday, on Friday, they killed him. Guess what he had? Nothing. Okay, then it says there, where am I? Okay, the anointed one will be cut off and the people of the ruler who will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Then the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. And he will confirm a covenant. Who will? That ruler who came in will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Okay? Seven years he will conform a covenant. Okay? And it goes on and said, in the middle of the seven, what is the middle of seven? Three and a half. He will put an end to the sacrifice offering, and on the wing of the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed and poured out on him. Everybody up with me on this? If you're not, I ain't backing up. Okay? Do you see what has happened? Do you see how it all comes out, right? All right, 69 weeks. Christ rides into town. Then there's a gap. Until that one seventh, that last week, seven year time frame, when this ruler will be given control. And he's going to bring this ten-toed beast, which is Europe, Western Europe, and probably Eastern Europe, that, the Roman nation. He will come in, there will be wars, and they will come upon Israel like a flood. Okay? We've already looked at it. He showed us where the war was going to come from. You're going to have the kings of the north and, and Persia. You're going to have the kings of the south. They're going to meet there. It's going to be this big flood. He's going to kick their butt, and then he's going to walk in, and he's going to do the abomination that causes desolation. Part of the abomination that causes desolation is removal of the daily sacrifice. Okay? 
So the Antichrist has got three and a half years of smoothing, is what I call it. It's not a uh, biblical term. It's basically, you know, look what I've done for you. It says, if you read the passage in uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20, you'll see there that you will no longer make a covenant with this man, but you will come back to your Lord. And that's what he's talking about. See, Israel is in a position right now that they are surrounded. Who is their friend right now? Us. Okay, the United States. All right, now, I don't want to get into is the United States, the evil empire or whatever. Uh, it is if you talk to the Ayatollah. But, hey, what do I know? Okay, but I do know that there will be a ruler who comes out of this European coalition who comes down, is attacked. All right? Move over to chapter 12, verse 11. Okay, and this is all part of it. It says, From the time of the daily sacrifice is abolished, and the, and the abomination that causes desolation... Right, this is a three and a half year. He's made a, a pact, an alliance, a treaty with Israel to protect them. Three and a half years into it, he turns on them. There's a hundred or a thousand two hundred ninety days, and blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the thirteen hundred thirty-five days. Okay, the abomination that is set up at the three and a half year mark. All right, understand Jesus's text that we're looking at says that you will see the abomination standing in the holy place. It's not a one-time gig. Okay, standing in the, it has to do that it's a system that is set up and is working. But three and a half years from the Hebrew calendar is 1,260 days. How's come we've got 1,290 days here? Um, if you look at Zechariah, you will see that the Lord comes and stands on the Mount of Olives and He makes a valley for the judgment of all who survived the seven years of tribulation. Okay, My conclusion is, is that it's going to take about 30 days to judge those people. Because He says here in Daniel, Blessed are those who wait for and reach the end of the 1,335 days, which would be another 15 days. And everybody's looking at me like a calf at a new gate. The other 15 days is when the Millennial Kingdom starts. That thousand-year kingdom. Okay, and that's an earthly kingdom. The saints will be ruling in different parts of the world. So what you have is 1,260 days to the end of the tribulation from the time the Antichrist sets up the abomination which causes desolation in the temple. You've got 1,260 days. You've got 30 days of judgment of those who survived the seven years of tribulation. And then after that, in 15 days, the millennial kingdom is set up. Okay? I believe that this falls in line with Matthew chapter 25 where it speaks of the judgment of the sheep and goats. Okay? The judgment of the sheep and goats looks to be that those who would survive through the seven-year tribulation. doesn't seem to be. Uh, the parallel is still on the question which started chapter 24. Context, people. Context. He doesn't change and say, come in and into heaven, I will judge the sheep and the goats. He doesn't say that. What is he still talking about? He's still talking about how will we know that your coming is quick? Because that's the question, and it's parousia. And parousia means the fulfillment of all you are. Okay? So, in Revelation 13, we meet the beast. 
says he's given 42 months after his abomination. That's three and a half years. And all that's all he can last. And he goes into judgment. So now then the only thing that I've got missing is what is the abomination? It was a statue that Antias Epiphanes put up. If uh, I'll just turn over. You can look at this on your own. We'll go, I'm going to go through this quickly. Chapter 13 of Revelation shows how all this thing falls together. He has given power to make war. Who? This is the Antichrist. This is the abomination that causes desolation. Uh, he's given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He has given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation. All the inhabitants of earth will worship this beast or the beast. Uh, drop down there to verse 11. You'll see, then I saw another beast. This is like his partner. Uh, I kind of look at him as secretary of state. And he comes out of the earth. And uh, he has two horns like a lamb. But he spoke like a dragon. He exercises all authority on behalf of the first beast. He's got a partner that runs around and says, you will worship this ruler, or, or what? Verse 15, he's given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. It's idols, some kind of idols. I force everyone, great and small, rich and poor, to free slave to receive the mark on the right hand of his forehead so that no one can buy or sell. Uh, this calls for wisdom. Anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number, the number 666. It's not a Russian military division. Man's number, is, it's just that. It's, it's so simple. Why do we make it so? It's 666. You know what man's number is? Six. What is the beast doing? Counterfeit the Trinity. So what do you have? Three sixes. What are they? Men. You have three men who think they're God. Three sixes. You add one. What's missing for man? God. What is the complete number? Seven. All right. So don't, I, you know, I, I remember reading it on our barcodes. The first number of the barcode is six. The middle number in every barcode is six. And the last number is six. <gasps> that means the President of the United States is Satan. That's his wife. No, just kidding. Sorry, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. It always says he. All right. So, and if you do not take the mark of the beast, you'll be killed. No problem, all right? So we're, we're there... You see it. You see the leader. He's a, he's a human being. He has tremendous charisma, but he also is in charge of this European Commonwealth. The only thing that is missing is <coughs> what does he do that causes desolation? It's very simple. It is for me because I spent a lot of time in here. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses four through nine. Chapter two, verses four through nine. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. Okay, same guy. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. See, Antiochus Epiphanes put a statue of Zeus in it. It says you'll worship Zeus. This guy says, I'm God. Okay, you will worship me. Okay, I mean, this guy's got an ego. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what has been revealed. Now you, know, <clears throat> now you know what has holding him back so that he may be revealed in a proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. 
at verse 7 is your biblical precedence for the removal of the bride of Christ. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will throw out with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Okay? So, now that we're all just absolutely, completely confused, I'll share with you from what you can read in uh, Newsweek today. Stage is set. Okay? Israel's trying to make peace. With who? Arabs. Okay? Do you know who supplies the Arabs with their weapons? Russia. Okay? Do you know that Islam believes that the reason that the Saudis and Iran and Iraq have oil is God gave it to them? You know why? To destroy the West and Israel. Do you know that? That's today, people. It's not something that... Listen, Isaac didn't could care less, or Ishmael could care less what oil was. Okay? It's today. They believe that God gave him this oil. Uh, do you understand who backs Gaddafi militarily? Russia. Do you know who killed more Jews than Hitler? Stalin. Okay. Um, Islamic core belief says, even if you're, uh, what was the guy that used to play for the Nuggets? He didn't want to stand up during the national anthem. I don't know. He's somewhere else playing basketball now. Uh, his core belief, uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, okay, their core belief, now understand this, is Islam must triumph. Why? Because it's God's religion. And if you do not believe in the Prophet Muhammad nor the Quran, then you have but one use in life. Death. Don't ever think that they're just a bunch of nice guys. You don't get a bunch of nice guys and fill up a truck full of dynamite and drive it into a barracks. Okay? And it has not changed. Right now, all they need to do, Islamic nation, they, all they have to do is have one prophet Okay, you know who a prophet is in Islamic nation? Do you remember Ayatollah Khomeini? He was their prophet. All he has to do, and whoever is over there now, I don't I that up to it, but all he has to do is come and say, God told me to kill the Jews, and they're going to start killing Jews. Please understand this. This is not ideology. This is theology. Ideology says is what Hitler did. Okay, ideology is that in the United States you have the conservatives and the liberals. That's ideologies. What you have in the Middle East surrounding Israel is theology supplied by the weapons from Russia. So understand, the stage is set. It's hard for us in this nation today to believe and understand this. Our nation, our government is set up on ideologies. Beirut, at this point in time, the Syrians have are basically in control of Lebanon. Uh, they disarm all Palestinians who come into town because they don't want to start the fight yet. But right now, the Center for Terrorism and the training of terrorists is Beirut. It's not the deserts of, I know if you've seen the movies uh, um, with uh, Harrison Ford in them, they're not the deserts of North Africa. Beirut is the training center. Okay. It's coming out. It's full of it. The KGB's releasing their records since the wall has fallen down. There's been war after war. Right now, we have a little problem in, in Jerusalem. 
where war was going to break out because of a tunnel. Do you remember hearing about that? You know what the tunnel was? Okay, it was access to Abraham's grave. Right? The Jews says it should be open and we're allowed to because Abraham is our father. Guess who the Arabs think their father is? Abraham. Had a mother problem thing there that didn't quite work out. Okay? The Jew, the Arabs ideology says the Jews must be exterminated. Okay? Understand that. Right now where the Temple Mound stands, there's a big mosque of Omar that sets. So don't be surprised when war breaks out, when the Jews decide that the mosque of Omar needs to take a lap. Okay? Because the temple must be rebuilt. Right now there's Talmudic schools in Jerusalem that are teaching the sacrificial system. Understand that. They are bringing together the stuff to rebuild the temple. Understand that. Okay? Right now they are doing it. I spoke with Wayne at length. He's been to their schools. He says it's really impressive. They are teaching the Levitical priesthood is being taught right now in Jerusalem. Okay? And guess who's paying for the teaching? The government of Israel. Okay? They don't have separation of church and state. Guess who is running the nation of Israel now? Netanyahu. I love that name. Then it just kind of rolls out. Bibi Netanyahu. (laughs) Anyway, uh, he's considered conservative. You know why they consider him conservative? He believes in the Judaism. He believes in the nation of Israel as God's chosen people. Stage is set. The abomination that causes desolation, there will be a man who will set up a system. He will bring under his power uh, all the fortresses and wealth of Europe. Uh, He will defeat the armies of the north and the Persian and the south. He will, at that time, enter into a covenant with a pact, a treaty, a promise, an alliance with Israel to be their protector because they are surrounded by enemies. Three and a half years into this treaty, he will commit the ultimate Trojan horse. He will walk into the Holy of Holies and he will pronounce himself as king and anyone, or God, and anyone who does not worship him shall die. And if you do not take his mark, take his system, you will die. And he will have men around the world who will promote and propagate his system. That is the abomination that causes desolation. He has three and a half years. During that three and a half years, there will start to be natural disasters. You will find that there's a two million man army that is demonic, comes out of the east, which uh, by all calculation is China and and the oriental type people. Um, They will come out of the east. They will kick his butt. He will die in a hail of bullets. Then they will gather all the nations of the world to come against Israel. Our Lord will step one foot upon the earth and they're in a valley called Megiddo. He will speak. They will die. The blood will roll 200 miles long by four foot deep. And at that point in time, he will stand on the Mount of Olives. There will be a great earthquake. The city will be split in three. Those who have survived the seven years of tribulation, all the world disasters and wars and famines will be judged. The goats will be separated from the sheep. The saints who have gone ahead of them, who are the bride of Christ, the church, we will be put in positions around the world to rule for a thousand years. Satan will be released after that thousand years to tempt for a season. The final dealings with sin will be dealt with. And at that point in time, New Jerusalem will come down from heaven. 
Uh, whether it touches the ground or whether it's a floating kingdom, I don't know. And I don't really much care. I know that it's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. It's a big city. Uh, I know it's a perfect city, so I'm going to like it. I don't like cities. I don't think there'd be traffic or congestion and things like that. So uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. Now then, before I close with prayer, we must, each of you and myself and even JT and Danny and my daughter and, and all the rest of you, I don't care how old you are, you must prepare for the future. And the only one way to prepare for the future, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. I hope that this, understanding the tribulations, understanding the suffering, will bring you a sharper focus, a sharper understanding of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I will conclude with this question for each and every one of you. What are you doing with the time and the talent that Christ has given you? And where are you investing yourselves? It's that simple. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, uh, I love this text. I love this. Uh, I look at the future. Father, uh, it grieves my heart to see uh, some of the things that are going on in the bride. Yet, Father, I understand that you will complete in each of us that that you have called us to. And, Father, that you will build your church. And death cannot even overcome her. Father, I pray that you will instill in these people's hearts the joy of being in the body of Christ. Father, I pray that you will instill in these people the seriousness of the time. Father, I pray that you will instill in these people a sharper focus of you. Father, instill in these people as we look forward to these things that revelation reveals the glory of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Alpha and Omega. Father, let us look forward to the day that our Savior is crowned in all splendor and majesty. Let us look forward to the day when sin is finally dealt with once and for all in eternity and the abomination shall never be among us. Father, let us look forward to the things that you are doing in our lives individually and collectively and let us give you the glory and the praise. Father, I pray for these people. I pray that their love for you will grow in such a way that all around us, no matter where we're at, will know that we are children of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and the glory of the risen Lord will be seen in our lives, our actions, our speech, our attitudes, our focus, our desires. And that, Father, we will run this race worthy of our high calling. To your glory, to your praise, to your power, in Christ's name. Amen.